Hello, everyone, and welcome into a special episode of the Irish NFL Show. I'm Colm Cronin, and today I am delighted to be joined by, I think, fair to say, a, a friend of the show, a man who's been on with us previously. And uh, I'm, it's, we're talking in really, really good circumstances this time around. He is, he does the pre and post game show for the Houston Texans. He is also on the morning show on Sports Radio six ten. It is the very wonderful Sean Prendergast. Sean, how are you doing, sir? Doing good, Colin. How you doing, man? I I am not too too shabby at all, um, but uh, I I don't think uh, that I am kind of maybe on walking on clouds in the same way that uh, a lot of the fans of the the Texans are. Yeah, you've, you've appointed a, a new head coach. Uh, tell me about like the the response of, of fans to the hiring of Demeco Ryan's. Yeah, I I will say this has probably been. Of course, the news came out on Tuesday here. Tuesday afternoon locally in Houston. Um, and here we are on Thursday, and the press conference is in about five hours from now to sort of unveil D'Amico Ryans to uh, the Texans. I say unveil. We're all very familiar with D'Amico from his time here as a player from 2006 to 2011. Um, and I guess just to, to give your audience sort of the background on D'Amico Ryans, I, they, I'm sure they know his, of his work in San Francisco as uh, the best – uh, coordinator in football this year, maybe the last two years, a fast riser up the coaching ranks with San Francisco and part of that Kyle Shanahan coaching staff that seems to almost be like, uh, you know, like a, a university for coaching where guys go on to then become good head coaches in other places, Robert Sala and Mike McDaniel and LaFleur, guys like that. Um, so, uh, so that they know him from that. He is one of the most beloved, respected players and people that has ever worked for the Houston Texans. It, it's not an exaggeration. And I think people, if, if they followed this coaching search enough to know, that's what NFL teams see in D'Amico Ryans too. He was one of the only candidates in this go-round to have requests from all five of the teams that were looking for new head coaches. They all wanted to talk to D'Amico Ryans. He only ended up talking to two of them, the Denver Broncos and the Houston Texans. And once he was done with that, he kind of shut things down. And now we can talk more, obviously, about the twists and turns in the in the search for both of those teams, Denver and Houston. But as far as the people in Houston and how we're feeling today, this is probably one of the, I would say, three or four greatest days in the history of the franchise. And I know people may be saying, really? Like, in the, the hiring of a coach is one of the greatest days in the history of the franchise. I would say, one, this is a franchise that has not achieved a lot of success on the football field in its short history. They've only been around 20 years, and they've never made it to a conference title game. So there's not a ton of days on the field that stack up to something this important. The other thing I would tell people um, is that the last three years have been just a living hell for Texan fans. Um, they've had to endure Bill O'Brien being the general manager. They've had to endure Jack Easterby doing all the things he was doing behind the scenes, the former team chaplain with the Patriots who became the most powerful man in the organization miraculously. They've had to endure the Deshaun Watson saga, him wanting to get traded and then him not being able to get traded because he's getting sued by 24 women for, for sexual assault. Uh, they've had to endure a David Culley era. I didn't even know those things existed, Colin. I didn't know there was such thing as a David Culley era until David Culley showed up in our lives back in 2021, the Lovey Smith era last year. So 
Texan fans have had to go through so much that really anybody that the Texans hired this time around was probably going to be viewed as a positive because it was they had a good list this time of guys. You know, they had some good candidates on their list. That it is D'Amico Ryan's takes the joy of kind of feeling like like a normal rebuild now, takes it to another level. I do Twitter polls each year when the Texans are looking for a head coach, which unfortunately has been an annual tradition the last three years. And I do Twitter polls where I ask my Twitter audience, hey, do you approve of this hire? Do you approve of this hire? You know, and it's a poll for each candidate. So each year it's seven or eight different Twitter polls and people either say yes or no. D'Amico Ryan's had the highest approval rate of any candidate I've done that exercise for in the last three years, 98%. You know, I get about 3,000 votes on these polls, three or 4,000 votes. That's about a normal voting constituency. Actually, it's a higher constituency than a normal poll for me, but people are super interested in this. 98% of the people who responded to that poll said they approve of D'Amico Ryan's as a as the head coach of the Houston Texans. That might be his greatest feat, getting 98% of any voting constituency on Twitter to agree on anything. Might be his greatest feat so far uh, as a coach, but why, just just a beloved player. There's going to be so many former Texans at this press conference today. The belief is that upward of 50 to 60 of his former teammates will be there today. Um, this is just a really, really great and joyous day for the city of Houston. And just, I suppose, on on that, Sean, what what makes him so beloved? What because you can see, I mean, look, I can sense this from, but you know, from the bay, probably seven thousand miles. But you can see the way players respond to him. Everyone responds to him. Like he he resonates charisma. Um, you and and guys talk about like I, I think it was um Benjamin Salak had a piece about during the coaching cycle and had some amazing quotes guys saying that you know they were they would literally put their life on the line for the for this guy they would go into battle for for this guy what is it that that makes him so special he's an incredible communicator um which i think you have to be as a head coach that's that's a big part of teaching is communicating you know and, and he's a great teacher as well um that's the coaching part of it there is a leadership gene with D'Amico ryan's that might be unmatched by any recent player in the last decade in the NFL. Everywhere he's gone, he played for two NFL teams in his time uh, in the league. He played a decade in the league, six years in Houston, four years in Philadelphia. Um, I was obviously didn't cover his time in Philadelphia, but everybody you talk to in Philadelphia says that they knew within a couple of weeks that this guy is going to be our captain. This guy, Chip Kelly, says this guy is going to be a future head coach. Of all the players he coached, that's the one who's going to be a future head coach. The anecdote that I like from his time here in Houston, my co-host on Sports Radio 610 each morning is Seth Payne, who was a defensive lineman in the NFL for 10 years, five with the Jags, five with the Texans. His last year in the NFL was 2006, and that was D'Amico's rookie year. So they played on the same defense together for a year. And D'Amico played inside linebacker. So he's, you know, he's in that position where he's calling out the signals. He's getting the team lined up and everything. He's a rookie, right, in 2006. And like any rookie, even a rookie with as much charisma as a D'Amico Ryans has, the veterans tend to look at them a little side-eyed, regardless of who you are. you got to earn your stripes in the NFL, right? Um, so Seth tells that story that, yeah, even D'Amico, great a leader as he was, got into that huddle the first practice at training camp in pads, getting – 
all the veterans, and they had a veteran defense on that team, getting them lined up in the first snap. They're like, okay, Rook, you don't know. Seth said within about three snaps that he was like, yes, sir, no, sir, <laughs> you know, to D'Amico. Not D'Amico to Seth. Seth to D'Amico. That he, he, he had the respect of veteran teammates within about the first 15 minutes of his first set of training camp practices. So it's nothing where you can point to – it's nothing where you can point to um, – you know, this, this, or that. Like, it's it's not with D'Amico, there's certainly a long checklist of things that make him a great potential head coach. But it's just that feeling that you get from being around him that this is a guy you want to follow, that this is a guy who knows what he's doing. This is a guy who is a great communicator. When he needs something done differently, he communicates it very easily. Similarly, and if you've ever watched him on a mic'd up session, like on NFL films, mic'd up, uh, He's a great communicator in giving praise. He's a great communicator in giving criticism. He knows exactly, his players will tell you the, on the 49ers, Nick Bosa and others that you've heard talk about him, he knows exactly how to manage each guy. Like he doesn't, he doesn't manage or communicate to everybody the same way. He's, a really, he's got a really good feel for the style of coaching and management that certain guys need. Certain guys need a pat on the butt. Certain guys need a kick in the butt. And he's just really, really good at being able to gauge that. Just a self-awareness about him that is um, that is very rare. Uh, I won't say it's very rare, but he's got it to a level where he will uh, probably accomplish some rare things as a head coach. So, and he's a great human being. I mean, he's a he he is just you can't find anybody who would say a bad thing about uh, D'Amico Ryan's. So um, he's just a. He's just a, a, he's exactly what you want out of central casting to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. Yeah. And I, I will say, like, I'm a, a Denver Broncos fan. He was the guy I wanted us to, to hire. I, I, I pinned my colors to the mask very early on that. As I said, it came across, um, e you know, even from here. But I also, I've had the good fortune to, to talk to Wade Phillips on a number of occasions. And Wade has coached some of the, the best in the business. And he mentioned, I remember him mentioning um, D'Amico's name as, as a leader. Um, and there's a guy who's uh, been around uh, a lot of leaders, so uh, would be well-placed to identify them. But obviously things played out in an interesting way. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, again, um, you know, teams are always going to want to put their own spin on it and they're going to want to make out, you know, no, no, uh, you know, fa famously uh, Arsene Wenger, who was uh, the Arsenal manager, always said everyone wants to say they have the prettiest wife at home. Um, but the, I don't know if we've seen, Sean, quite the level of maybe um, difference, right? The two most prominent NFL insiders, yeah. Shefty and Rappaport, and uh, they they obviously had very different takes on the way it played out at at the at the end. Yeah. I'm just interested from you're a lot closer to what goes on on the ground there with, with the Texans. Like what what were you um, hearing or, or what what was your take on on how the process played out? I was hearing that D'Amico Ryan's wanted the Texans job all along. That maybe may, all along maybe stretching. I mean, he interviewed with the Broncos. There may have been some interest, but early on, I think once D'Amico got his questions answered that he wanted to get answered about the Texans. Because let's face it, the Texans have been an organization that has opened itself up to questions for good candidates like D'Amico Ryans. I could see where D'Amico, being somebody who's observed this organization from afar the last few years and watched it deteriorate, that he would want to know 
why did that happen? How did that happen? Or some of the reasons that happened out of the building now? And the answer to that is yes, we fired Jack Easterby. So um, uh, it's the answer to a lot of it, at least. But um, but my understanding from talking to people who, who were pretty plugged into this process is that uh, early on, once they had that first interview, because it was really Nick Casario that needed to get to know D'Amico. Cal McNair and his wife, Hannah McNair, and Janice McNair, the matriarch of the franchise, the wife of the late Bob McNair, all the McNairs, they knew D'Amico. You know, the president of the team knows D'Amico. A lot of the people in the building know D'Amico. Nick Casario didn't know D'Amico. Not to the level where you go rubber stamp and say, let's hire this guy. But he got to know D'Amico pretty quickly and got impressed with him pretty quickly. Nick Casario did. And I know just from having communicated with Nick over the last few days, he's incredibly impressed with um, D'Amico Ryans, obviously, or he wouldn't have the job. Because I do think this was Nick's decision. I don't think the McNairs were going to make Nick Casario hire D'Amico Ryans, even though D'Amico was the clear-cut people's choice. You know, that's the choice to get season ticket holders calling up again and ordering season tickets. This team's had a real attendance problem over the last two years. It's been invaded by opposing fan bases every Sunday, if you watch Texan games. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so it, everybody had to be on board. So my understanding is that D'Amico, once they had that first interview, this was the job he wanted. He called it his dream job. Um, and as far as the Denver part of it goes, I call it the dueling pianos of Rappaport and, and Schefter, you know, like they're in a bar, you know, here, I'm going to play Don't Stop Believing. Okay, here we go. I'm going to play, uh, you know, Tennessee whiskey, you know, um, and, and you back and forth. Right. But we've never seen that before. At least I can't remember Colin where literally, I mean, they're the big two, right. When it comes to newsbreakers, I've never seen it before where one has within 10 minutes, put out a tweet disputing a report of the other. So it's fascinating. Um, Rappaport, of course, is the one who said that Denver circled back to D'Amico to try to hire him at the 11th hour, and they were unsuccessful, so they settled for Sean Payton. That's how I'd choose to position. They settled for Sean Payton. They couldn't get D'Amico. Schefter, of course, said, like, no, it wasn't that way. Um, I choose to believe Rappaport for two reasons. One, I'm a Houston Texan fan, and that's the much more fun version to believe if I'm a Houston Texan fan. But number two, and this was pointed out in the article that you you uh, cited earlier, the Benjamin Solak article in The Ringer, where it talked about that aspect of it, the, the two insiders kind of jousting over what exactly happened. And I, and I believe this, too. When one insider reports this team messed up, and minutes later another one says, no, they didn't, it's like this, they didn't mess up, there's nothing to see here. It usually means, yeah, they messed up, but now they're trying to clean up their tracks. And I don't think that of the two things that got reported, if I look at them and go, boy, if this guy gets that one wrong, he's really opening himself up to criticism. Which guy is that in this case? Well, that guy's Rappaport, clearly, in this case, right? Like, if Rappaport gets that one wrong, that's a pretty big matzo ball out there, to pretty big accusation of a team that they were trying to undo a deal and that they had to go begging like begging some other coach and give him $25 million and give up draft picks to go get him. If Rappaport gets that one wrong, that's that's tough. Whereas Schefter's just denying Rappaport's report, which is, at that point, like, who's going to go digging in? To look, what are they going to do? Go looking at emails and texts and things like, are we going to go investigating this? Like, it's Watergate or something like that? Um, so, uh, so Rappaport's is the, I, I will say Rappaport's is the gutsier report, we'll call it, you know? So, uh, and, and Ian, 
whereas like Ian and Schefter, you can tell sometimes they have their guys that they do carry some water for. Rappaport very plugged in up in the Boston area and with the Boston community and the Patriots and things like that. And Schefter's got his guys around the league as well. So you can tell sometimes there are slants in their reporting, but that's a direct report about something a team did, not here's how so-and-so feels. Like, no, they did this. So it's a great wrinkle to this whole thing. And, I, you know, it's just for me, I'm just kind of basking in the fact that it's my team that got the guy everybody wanted. have not been this way for a while for us, man. When I've been going on shows and interviews like this the last three years, it's like, welcome in Sean, the two-headed circus freak. Let's talk about what a freak his football team is right now. And we've had fun with it, and it's easy to crack self-deprecating jokes about your football team. But it gets tiring after a few years of, of you know, coming in and talking about a team that's a, that's a punchline in all this. And not that the Texans are ready to compete for a Super Bowl, but uh, but I think, you know, to have the national media and people who cover the game be able to look at your team and go, man, not, not only did they do something right, but they found the best guy is um, – it's a it's a good day. We didn't win any games this week, but it does feel like we've won a Super Bowl in a way. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I get I get that. I mean, um, long, long suffering. So, and and you got the the guy everyone wanted. I also, um, you know, even though I'm a Broncos fan, I will say that last year, uh, with the after the Russell Wilson trade, and there was obviously some people who were saying about um, the Aaron Rodgers side of, of things. And Schefter came out and did a very similar sort of tweet where he said, oh, the Broncos signing Russell Wilson had nothing to do uh, yeah. with Aaron Rodgers deciding to stay in green. But they were they were already had this this deal in place. So, no, no, this was all good. This So it's it, that's a very similar sort of situation, I think. Well, and Schefter is from Denver, right? So and I know the relationships he has in the building in Denver with this ownership are probably fairly new. Um, you know, it's a new ownership. It's these Walmart people. It's Penner, who's the CEO. So I, 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 I mean, I'm kind of making some assumptions here that it's the Denver Broncos. So he got plugged in pretty quickly, even though it's new ownership that he was made. He had introductions made and things like that. That Russell Wilson deal, I think, was made before the sale of the team, if I'm not mistaken. I know Nathaniel Hackett was signed as the new coach before the team changed hands to the Walmart people. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a great example. Like, you know, anytime Denver's coming under fire, it's like, no, no, nothing to see here. Um, I mean, look at the end of the day, D'Amico Ryans is the coach of my football team. And that's, that's the important thing. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. I, I think one of the other things to, um, that was interesting in terms of what you said was around Casario having the save, which again was very different to, to Denver where George Payton was not part of of the the interview panel that that ultimately maybe that was it maybe um D'Amico wanted to know you know how his relationship with the GM was going to be that could could have been another factor um in in it as well yeah well and I think the sense I get I don't cover the Broncos on a daily basis but I do talk to people who do and the sense I get is Peyton is kind of a thin ice up there right now that the reporting structure in Denver is that Peyton's going to report to the owner not to the GM that's unique so, um, yeah, I, I, and so that's, that's strange. I, Casario, I know there's a lot of people that are wondering, how could Casario be allowed to hire a third head coach? He's fired two one-and-done head coaches. Why are they letting him hire a third head coach? Look how bad he is at hiring head coaches. I tend to believe that there's a lot that went into hiring David Culley and Lovey Smith that Nick Casario didn't really have much control over. 
I also think that the pool of candidates that would look at the Texans job the last two years is was significantly depressed compared to the pool of candidates looking at it this year. They had, I mean, they hired D'Amico, which was the best hire they could make, but if they hadn't gotten D'Amico Ryans, there were still some coordinators on their list that are very well thought of around the league. Like Jonathan Gannon's going to be a good hire for somebody someday. The Eagles, D.C. You know, Shane Steichen, the Eagles O.C., is very well thought of. Mike Kafka of the Giants was one of the guys they they interviewed. They, like everybody else, interviewed Ichero Ivero from Denver, the D.C. there. So they had good candidates. They interviewed Peyton, too. Um, they, they had good candidates. Um, they had good candidates on the list. Uh, but Casario is not on thin ice with the Texans' ownership. I think the McNairs, I think they think very highly of Nick Casario. I think they understand the deal with the last two years is that he had the most unprecedented, massive cleanup job of any GM taking over a team. I defy anybody to find a GM taking over a worse situation on paper than the one Nick Casario took over with the Texans in 2021, where you had no draft picks coming up. You had no first and second round pick in the upcoming draft because of the Laramie Tunsil trade and all these bad deals that Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby made. You had contracts on the books that were just horrific, horrific contracts. Like they finally got the cap cleaned up after two years. So the cap was in terrible shape. The culture in the building was awful. Deshaun Watson wanted to get traded, which would have sucked even if you could have just cleanly traded him a month later. You know, like, fine, that sucks. God, I can't believe we've got to trade a franchise quarterback to the Dolphins for the third overall pick and two more picks. Oh, no, no, no. You can't trade him because he's now getting sued by 24 women. And so you had to go a whole year not only not being able to trade Deshaun Watson, but having him around the team. Like, he was at training camp, like, literally just doing nothing at practice. It was one of the most bizarre things that I've ever seen. That's what Nick Casario inherited, you know? And so... I do think part of hiring, I think David Culley got hired because I think they looked at it and said, look, we can't, there's no good coaches that want this job. We just need somebody to come in that's going to be positive and be a caretaker for a couple of years. Turns out it was way worse than they thought it would be. Culley was a terrible head coach. So they, they ended up pivoting to Lovey Smith. And some of that had to do with the Brian Flores lawsuit and things like that. There were just weird circumstances surrounding those coaches and those hires. Um, and so Unlike Peyton in Peyton, P-A-T-O-N, the GM in George Peyton in Denver, Casario is, uh, I know it sounds crazy because they've won seven games the last two years and he's hired two coaches. He's on his third coach and not all of his moves have been great. Some have been good, but we're waiting for Derek Stingley and Kenyon Green, their two first round picks to start to look like NFL players. There's that. Um, Casario is still very well thought of in the building. And I think he and D'Amico Ryans are going to work really, really well together. They, they come from different, I'll call it football religions. You know, Belichick, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Casario subscribes to the Church of Belichick. D'Amico subscribes to the Church of Kubiak and Shanahan, or as my co-host Seth Payne calls it, the Nation of Kubshanistan. Um, so uh, you can use that, but just attribute it to Seth Payne. Um, so uh, uh, they come from different thought processes, but I think they're both guys who in, who who welcome that, who want conflicting points of view so you can discuss and debate and arrive at what you think is the best the best route for the team to go whether it's a quarterback or in the draft or in free agency or whatever the case may be I think it's gonna be fascinating to watch these two schools of thought get melded together and I think both guys have the temperament 
and the demeanor and the personality to listen to the other guy. And I think that's a big thing too. And I suppose on that then, Sean, in terms of the the draft and um, what what do you think the Texans are, are likely to do? Because obviously a lot of speculation about what the Bears might do. Are they going to stick with, with Fields? Are they going to look to get a QB themselves? Colts, we know, uh, are de- desperately in need uh, of a QB. That's probably um, the, the worst QB room at the moment in the entire league. So they, they have to sort that out. Um, and, you know, the the re- like Derek Carr will be out there, but ultimately it's, it's not exactly, you know, overflowing on, on the free agency side of things. Do you see the Texans going up to have their choice or do you think they're happy to stick it to and see what falls their way? I, obviously, it depends on how they feel about both of the quarterbacks at the top. And I'll say all three, maybe. Will Levis throw him in there too. They may like him. But let's just call it Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud because I do think those are the two best quarterback prospects, as do most of the experts. I don't really know how they feel about those both of those prospects specifically. I will say my guess is if they like them both, they'll stay at two and just if they feel the same about both of them, they'll stay at two and take whichever one falls to them. If they like one significantly more than the other, I think they'll move up to number one and make sure they go get that guy. And the reason I say that, Colin, is that Nick Casario has handled two drafts now for the Texans, 2021 and 2022. He is not afraid to move up and go get guys that he likes. And he's not even really afraid to give up probably more in draft capital than people think he should to go get guys that he likes. His first draft in 2021, he gave up a couple of picks to move up from 109 to 89 to draft Nico Collins. Later in that draft, he maneuvered and gave up some picks to move up and draft Garrett Wallow, the linebacker, in the fifth round. More... Uh, more recently and probably more comparably, although there's really nothing comparable moving up two to one, but literally the highest for quarterbacks. But I'm just talking about in terms of his mentality, he moved up several spots to get John Mechie last year in the second round. He moved up several spots to draft Christian Harris, the linebacker out of Alabama. If nothing else, we know he likes to move up and get Alabama guys. So, uh, so then, you know, there's, there's not just the behavior of moving up, it's moving up to go get Bryce Young. So I, I think to answer your question, I do think they're going to come away with a quarterback in this draft. I do, um, probably with that top pick. And I think if he likes one of them enough to move up, he will move up and go get that guy. Assuming the price is not exorbitant. You know, if it's a price, if they're asking for two firsts to move up one spot, I don't think he does that. Um, but And I think everybody here is hoping it's Bryce Young. You know, Bryce Young is the guy. I get the size thing, and and none of these prospects are perfect, but he would be, I mean, what an injection of just it factor and leadership and charisma and clutch gene that you're injecting into this franchise along with D'Amico Ryans in the same offseason. Training camp, all of a sudden the Texans are a training camp that people want to go to. You know, like it's we may as well have had training camp on Jupiter the last couple of years as far as the NFL is concerned. So, um, so yeah, a lot of my takes are slathered in the fact that I just want this team to be interesting again, you know? Um, and today we'll go a long way to that. Um, but I, I do think that I think quarterback is the next thing they need to check off. You mentioned the name Derek Carr. I don't think that's 
don't want to say it's not a possibility. I suppose anything's possible. But Derek Carr, you know, his brother David was here. It didn't go well with David Carr and the Texans. And I just don't think, I don't think this is a team that's in a spot where a bridge quarterback makes sense. Get a young quarterback, marry him to somebody off of that Coop Shanistan tree. Uh, you know, Bobby Slowick is a name that people have been kicking around. A guy who's passing coordinator, passing in coordinator with the Niners, who's very well thought of. Young guy, 35 years old. You know, let's pair him and Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud up, and let's see where we can take this thing. And I, just because, yeah, I, the Bryce Young stuff is interesting because he he's obviously, he's everything you talked about in terms of that leadership and charisma. But the size is such that, I mean, we're talking about a guy who who's smaller than Kyler and, and Tua. Yeah. Like, would, would that give you pause in terms of coming in to the the NFL we heard to uh to a probably more publicly than kind of anyone like R- Russell Wilson and, and Kyler kind of ignore their don't talk about the height thing and, and Kyler is was when he came into the league was an absolute athletic freak yeah. Tua was willing to acknowledge it this year and he said you know I, I remember he was at the podium and, and he was talking about like yeah like I can't always see over linemen and in terms of my receivers they need to realize that like if uh, if they can't see me I can't see them um, now, Tua has, you know, a look, the health issues aside, um, with the weapons he had, Tua had a pretty strong season when he was on the field, I felt. But it, it is a piece where it does take away the the middle of the field in, in many respects. Would yeah. that give you pause in terms of if they did have to give up stuff and take him at number one? Yeah, it, well, it all depends on what you have to give up. Like, I, am I willing to give up something to move up one spot and get Bryce Young? Yeah, it, depending on what that price is. You know, like I, like I said, like if it's a couple of first round picks, then no. But if you, I got to give up my, my two next year and maybe a three or something like you know something like that to go get Bryce Young if I feel strongly enough. And I feel strongly about Bryce Young that he's going to be a very good NFL quarterback. I just think uh, there's so much to like about him. The only thing to not like about him is the size, as you brought up. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about the size, you know, like people bring up Russell. I don't think bringing up Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray is a, I'll admit that's not a good comparison. The people that support Bryce Young are like, well, Russell Wilson's small and, and Kyler Murray is small. No, but those guys are kind of firmly packed. They're, they're, you know, they're thicker guys. Yeah. You know, or Bryce Young has a, a bird frame, you know, like he's, he's a skinny dude. Um, I, I do think, look, he's. it's not as though he's playing in Division Three. He's playing in the SEC. These are big athletes he's playing against and getting hit by already. I get it. It's not the NFL. But he's managed to stay healthy at Alabama for two years. I think the other thing, too, and this is where the comparison with Tua and Bryce kind of fall apart. There's a reason why Tua gets hurt a lot. And, and I've had football players, including my co-host, Seth, who have said this. This has been an observation of mine that they agree with, which is, Tua doesn't know how to fall. He doesn't know how to get hit in the pocket. There is a certain art to being a quarterback. Quarterbacks will tell you this, where you got to know how to brace yourself, take a hit, how to contort your body when you're going to the ground so you're not falling on your shoulder, you're not falling on your head like Tua does all the time. Um, If you watch Bryce Young, I mean, I'm going to make him sound like he's a, a WWE performer, but he knows how to fall. He knows how to take bumps, you know? And, uh, and I think there's something to that. So, look, it's not ideal. He's going to do everything he can to beef up between now and the combine and now in the draft and now in his NFL career. 
But the fact of the matter is, there's only so much he can add to that frame without probably somehow adversely affecting his ability to throw at football at peak peak value. So um, there's just so much good about him that I'm willing to roll the dice with him. It may not work out. He might spontaneously combust week three because he gets hit so many times. I who knows, um, but he's it's it's a chance worth taking in my opinion with Bryce Young. Yeah, it, and it will be certainly interesting to to see. As you said, I mean the 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 Texans are suddenly on everybody's radar. I think now, uh, yeah. Given the the appointment, and um, I know that you you kind of you mentioned that the I saw, I saw your tweet about like you know Kubiak uh, should be like the the Darth Vader in the background. I wonder even behind Gary, would you have Mike Shanahan? Uh, because obviously you have uh, you have that. that that's where the, the tree maybe you originally the oak seed uh, was, was Mike and obviously has uh, flourished from, from probably there. it would be like the most the most multi-layered Star Wars poster of all time so for those who don't know what, what Colin's talking about there was a graphic that somebody put up that had a picture of Kyle Shanahan on the right side of the graphic you know coaching and then next to him were four like insets of of face shots of the four head coaches that he has spawned into the NFL. There was Robert Sala, there was Mike McDaniel, a couple of others. And someone said the Kyle Shanahan tree. And I joked because those guys, all of those guys were on Gary Kubiak's staff here in Houston at one time, including Kyle Shanahan. And so I joked that, no, this, this, you know what this graphic needs is just a big picture of Gary Kubiak's head behind all of it, like a silhouette or a shadowed picture like the Darth Vader helmet behind all the Star Wars characters in the poster. And I did get people saying, like, well, what about Mike Shanahan behind that? And I'm like, okay, what about Bill Walsh behind all of them? He's like Emperor Palpatine, you know, like he's so um it's uh it's a fascinating tree. It really is. Like it's it's one of those trees that make you think, okay, why doesn't everybody just run this offense? That's what I was saying to Seth today. I'm like, if this is the offense that everybody wants to run, why isn't everybody running it? Because it, it does seem like one where it's like it's very plug and play. You don't have to spend exorbitantly on running backs because every running back that gets plunked into a successful version of that system seems to run for about five and a half yards a clip. Uh, but yeah, it's I covered that Texans team back in 2010, you know, that that had McDaniel and there's a LaFleur on there, one of the LaFleurs and and, and Sala and and uh, and Kyle Shanahan and so forth and D'Amico and D'Amico was a player on that team. That's who one of the uh, duh one of the pictures was D'Amico Ryan's. Um, so uh, it's it's really crazy to go back and look and see just how fertile that tree was for um, for Kubiak. It's really amazing. Yeah, and maybe the next time I think one one of the, my theory on why more people don't do it it's while it's plug and play, the reason for that and that you can put the players in is because the coach has to be so smart. When you talk to Kyle, when you talk to, um, you know, uh, Mike Mike McDaniel, even, I mean, Sean McVay is sort of out of that tree as well. Um, Ke- Kevin O'Connell, these are all super smart guys who spend, like, hours th- thinking about, like, not only the scheme, but nearly yeah. the philosophy behind the scheme. Yeah. And, and I guess not everyone has that. Well, you got to have a smart quarterback too, um, because that's one thing people will tell you is that scheme takes about a year to really get proficient at. It's a very, very, it's a precision based. um, It's it it's just it's a very it requires a very very cerebral quarterback. Um, I think that's part of the reason why Deshaun Watson played so poorly 
the six games that he came in. Not because he's not smart. Deshaun's brilliant football-wise. Um, not so brilliant in massage settings, but brilliant in in uh, football-wise. Deshaun has a very high football IQ, but that's St- Stefanski runs that system. You know, Stefanski was in Minnesota when Kubiak was a consultant there. Uh, you know, when Deshaun came back, people attribute it to rust, but part of it could be just like it's his first six games playing in that system. He spent his whole NFL career playing in whatever system it was Bill O'Brien was running here, and now he gets over there. So he's, I, I think Deshaun is going to be really, really good in Cleveland this year, you know, once he's had a normal offseason and he's a year removed from all the I, – I, I hate to say that because the Texans have the Browns' first-round pick in uh, in 2024. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, the uh, – uh, I think Deshaun's going to be really good, but that system is very. It's it's there's a lot of football intellect that you have to have running that thing for sure. Sean, you have been so generous with your time, and uh, hopefully someday we'll get to to welcome you to to Dublin and uh, and maybe do this over uh, a couple of pints. But um, for our our audience, I always enjoy talking to you. I know our audience enjoy listening to you. Um, can you do you want to just shout out again where we can find your stuff? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Colin. I appreciate that. And by the way, if if and when my wife sees this, she's going to be like, see, I told you we need to go to Ireland. She wants to get over there bad. So I promise you when we get over there, I'm hanging with you guys. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, uh, if you want to get me on Twitter, at Sean T. Pendergast on Twitter. Um, and, uh, and, and as far as tuning in to me on the radio, um, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central Standard Time here in the United States. Um, I don't know what time that is uh, over in uh, over in, in Dublin, but you got people all over the world listening to this thing. So, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, Central Standard Time. Uh, Pain and Pendergast is the show. Sports Radio 610 is the station. You can listen to it and stream it on the Odyssey app. A U D A C Y. Just search Sports Radio 610 or search my name, and it'll come up. I have a Sunday show that I do on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, a uh, a national show here in the United States, but obviously over the internet, you can listen to it globally um, on CBS Sports Radio. Sean Pendergast show, you can listen to it on the same app, the Odyssey app, um, and then pregame and postgame for the Houston Texans, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I got got my uh, got my fingers in a lot of pies, you know. It's uh, so got to got, got to stay busy. That's that's a testament to to your talent, and definitely for anyone listening, I would highly recommend. Uh, following Sean on Twitter, he's a, he's a great follow. I'm always highly entertaining, and obviously you've heard him uh, over the the last forty minutes or thereabouts. He he is a man. He's a a phenomenal storyteller. Uh, so Sean, all that remains is for me to just say thanks once again for taking the time to join me. Anytime, Colin. Anytime. You know that.